Welcome to Season 5 of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve, the biggest sci-fi podcast in the galaxy. The adventure is just beginning here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and we invite you to come aboard the Starship Tangent. We know you'll enjoy the conversation, the laughter, the banner back and forth, and most of all, friends who love hanging out to talk about all things science fiction. Set your phasers to fun. Here we go. Good day, listeners of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we have a special guest, but before I go on with my intro, I want to thank our listeners for their continued support of this podcast. And above all, all, our good friends at Trek Geeks who have supported us and allowed this podcast to continue to grow both nationally and internationally. And that's pretty darn cool. And to our friends at Trek Long Island, who will be hosting the second annual convention and have once again included us in the event that will be held from May the 31st to June the 2nd, 2024. We hope you will attend so we can meet you, because when you do, you will learn the ABCs of podcasting. A is for Adina. Say hello. Hi, everybody. B is for Brian. Hey, Adina, I just want to make clear. He said, say hello, oh, not hi, sorry. everybody. Sorry, I am terrible oh, at following hey. those directions. Hey, what is it's it a long day. Sorry, sorry. Not, Gracie. Now, we're allowing the actors to, to free, 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 oh, okay, okay. freeform it. It's okay. Hey, everybody, it's Brian from Ohio. C is for Chris. Hi, everyone. It's Chris from Toronto. And S is for little old me, Steve. But he's no red shirt. <laughs> not today. I'm wearing my black enterprise shirt yes i am and wearing my black my nxo one hat as well in honor of our guests you know you never know where you're going to meet interesting people 37 years ago i met one of my heroes the late and great jonathan winters the godfather of improvisational comedy to the likes of robin williams and others and one of the funniest people ever to have lived while I was shopping at the Vons in Burbank, of all places. Then eight years ago, my daughter Stephanie's wedding, at her wedding, the 44th president of the United States, a fellow by the name of Barack Obama, met all the members of the wedding party after finishing up a round of golf at Torrey Pines. And that was a true surprise to all of us. It made my daughter and son-in-law overnight international celebrities. And... uh, (laughs) I don't wow. know if you can see that. Jeez. But wow. that's yeah, that's, that's what happened. Else. Yeah, that's your daughter? That's my daughter. That's that's Stephanie. That's my daughter. What are you? Yeah. Okay. He's a good-looking guy. What are you saying? No, I mean like <laughs> I remember just... when that went sensational, all sensationally. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I didn't know that was Steve's like yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah, it was it was Learning a, new a, things about my podcast co-hosts yeah. today. Every day I feel like and then four months ago, while attending Star Trek Day, we can call it now, on which was on September the 8th of this year, I met a fascinating woman. And she was, like myself, wearing an NX-01 cap. And I asked her where she got hers, and she replied, from working on the Enterprise series. Well, we exchanged phone numbers, and I went home to look up her involvement with Trek. And wow, what a resume. She was involved with Voyager for season seven, where she was a story editor for 18 episodes. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, on Voyager or no, overall? On Voyager. 18 episodes on Voyager. Oh, yeah. For 18 episodes on Voyager, yes. And co-wrote four episodes with Mike Sussman. Is that pronouncing his name right? S-U-S-S-N? He goes by Michael now, but he was Mike then. Okay. As for Enterprise, she was story editor for the entire first season, except for two episodes, one episode, and then two that she uh, that she wrote on her own. Well, actually, she co-wrote, you co-wrote 10 episodes of Enterprise with Mike as well. Right. And then you wrote two episodes on your own. Yes. In season three. In three. You know, there have been a handful of women who have written for Trek, and they all stand on the shoulders of D.C. Fontana. Yet, I think Phyllis might be the most prolific. Well, we're <laughs> going to find out more about this and other interesting tidbits about Trek with an interview with 
the lovely and wonderful Phyllis Strong. And Phyllis, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Well, there's a thousand questions I've written down and Brian <laughs> said, we're not going to answer. But, but it's the idea is just to get us into an idea of where we want to talk about. And really, I'm going to ask the very first question, which we always ask of all people who are making film, making, writing scripts, directing, whatever. Where was the first time that you came in contact with science fiction? I came into contact with science fiction um, in the seventh grade, because my parents had moved me from New York City to the suburbs against my will. And uh, if any, I speak to all the young women who are in middle school who know that that is the worst time of your life and the worst clickiness and everything else. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends uh, coming into sixth grade and into seventh. And I spent a lot of time in the library and I discovered. Ray Bradbury's short stories, The Velt, um, and uh, The Illustrated Man. I read compilations. I read a lot of short stories. I read compilations that were about uh, parallel universes and time travel. And um, those were really, that was really my education and my solace. Was there any early movies or TV shows that really you look forward to seeing or or got you uh, more interested in science fiction? Uh, the Twilight Zone. Okay. Oh, that's always good. Yeah, which was amazing. And I can remember the first episode I saw, which was To Serve Man. I also remember that the first repeat of Star Trek that I saw, which I watched when I was young, was um, The Deadly Years. And oh, I, yeah. it, I, I love that I episode. I came in in the middle, okay? So they were already old. So I had no idea that I was watching older versions of these characters that were about to revert back to their youthful selves. Oh, so, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mm -hmm. was intrigued, but I was really confused. <laughs> what is this? This is Star Trek version of Benjamin Button. What's going on here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of thing is going on? And then you had Chekhov that didn't age. Oh, yeah, because yes. he was terrified. That was like the fear. Yeah, I, but I had no <laughs> idea that he was, you know, uh, central to this or not or to the story because literally it was a bunch of people trying to claim that they were still had their faculties even though they had aged. Mm -hmm. I'm not old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can still handle myself. And that got, uh, I was immediately a Star Trek fan. I, I, I will admit that I watched repeats of Lost in Space. Um, That's but, okay. That's okay. Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with that. Yep. Pretty much, uh, I watched the original Battlestar Galactica. Mm. I'd love to watch that sometime. Oh I've not seen gosh. it yet. One day. Uh, one day. It's, Young girl, it's they were really got too. its charms. <laughs> and uh, it it was a very, a very, the cast was really enthusiastic. Um, and for a. I, I always thought when, when I saw them, I went, wait a minute, he was on Bonanza. <laughs> What's going on here? This is kind of odd. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wait, what? exactly yeah which is kind yeah, of like was, today was, where you have he was a 40 year old man that had 30 three year 30 year old, old mom having a 20 year old daughter or something like that. yes yes you know like riverdale <laughs> oh i've not seen riverdale i've heard good things though uh it, it's fun but definitely uh it it the cw likes young parents young looking right parents. okay yeah that sounds right and so uh, what was the first thing you published as a writer? Was it science fiction? Was it something else? My first TV script that got me anywhere was a spec of Deep, Deep Space Nine. Oh, That okay. was a time uh, in the 90s when people were looking at spec scripts and not pilots. And also, it was a time when Star Trek was known for reading unrepresented scripts. So this was like the open door policy that I think yeah. started on TNG? 
Uh, yes. Or what was that called? Not open door policy, but like an open submission process. Open submission process. Exactly. So if you were at all interested in science fiction and in TV, you wanted to do a, a spec that would get attention. Hmm. And it might also lead to you being wrapped. Um, it led to me being hip pocketed at an old uh, firm that became ICM, but it was Broder Curland. And uh, I wrote this very sort of Holocaust themed Deep Space Nine story about a Bajoran who basically had taken on another identity for the the person that was lost during uh, during the Cardassian reign. And I'd been really impressed by Peter Fields' story. Um, I can't remember the name now, but it was the one, it was the man in the glass booth as, as a DS9 story. So Wait. anyway, do you remember that one? So are you talking about um, the Cardassian that pretends to be another yes. Cardassian? Uh, yeah. Duet, I think, which is Duet. season one. Duet. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. so good. Chris yeah, is our registered DS9 expert. Thank you. <laughs> Brian, though, Brian, we're DS9. I, yes. I, I, knew, I knew who wrote it, and I was fascinated by it. And I uh, I actually have um, – my parents were re child refugees from Nazi Europe, so I had a lot of that in me. And I remember meeting with Chris Silberman, who was heading TV at Broder Curlin. He said, this is not like a typical spec we see. And I'm going, yeah, there's actually a lot of, you know, sort of realistic stuff from uh, the Holocaust period that resonated. Anyway, that got me a chance to go in and pitch to Deep Space Nine. And I nearly sold something, but I did not. And that was very much the case for many of us. Um, but if, when you're asking me about the first thing that that got aired or that I wrote uh, on staff, I was on a syndicated show called, oh God, what was it called? Jack of all trades, I think. Hmm, uh, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, no, no, Tales, I'm sorry. It was Tales of the South Seas. It was once called Jack of all trades. It was called Tales of the South Seas. It was based on a Jack London novel about a captain slash pirate and his Tahitian sidekick in Tahiti at the turn of the century and it was basically action adventure romance uh and uh banter <laughs> so um and as a matter of fact the other uh story editor on it with me was Mike Sussman okay, so okay. we met um even though we had been hired separately so my first episode came out of there which was i can't even remember exactly how how to well how to give the log line of the story, but it essentially had a love triangle and uh, and a hurt captain and the uh, French aristocrat woman who was in love with him, but he wasn't in love with her and all of that kind of stuff. So and and it actually had a, a rescue with lots of old fashioned rifles and uh, and uh, fist fights at the end. Hmm. Nice. That was good. that was an Australian TV show. It was produced it was, in Australia. It, yeah, it was produced in Australia by Village Roadshow. It was also done by Gomont, and USA was was picking it up here in the in okay uh, the US. But it it lasted for it lasted for a season, and Michael and I lasted for about two-thirds of a season when they decided they'd bring in some new showrunner and change the the direction, which a direction they never actually had. So right. <laughs> it was, welcome to Hollywood. You're hired one day, you're fired the next, um, and you move on. But that was my entry into the Writers Guild, so it, it was very important to me. Going from being a science fiction fan as a teenager, how did that get you into wanting to write and, and do the writing aspect of? I was always into writing, which doesn't exactly dovetail with my resume because I had no contacts. So I ended up uh, going into investment banking and then to business school and then into the studios with a business job. And mm -hmm. I essentially was looking for some way to break in creative. To go back to the writing, I used to do, you know, short stories uh, as a kid. 
um, mm-hmm. and things like the opposite world where whites were enslaved and blacks were running the show and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But the writing wasn't going to, I, I, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, or even knew, you know, 20 years ago, I would have come after school to Hollywood and tried to get an assistant job. But coming from the East Coast and uh, college education where they recruited right out of college, I didn't know that being an assistant was something that actually had a uh, career ladder associated with mm-hmm. it. Okay. So uh, that's how I ended up uh, in Los Angeles. I ended up working for 20th Century Fox. And every time I thought I was in the inner circle, I turned out to be on the outer side of the inner circle and kept uh, trying. I ended up helping to run a TV movie company for Fox. And that's where I got, it was very small and I was exposed to production development. Um, I went to on set for our movies and things like that, even though I was more of the business person. And that was an experiment that failed actually. uh, And Fox ended up bringing it back and and into the Fox broadcasting fold. Long story short, they wanted me to go back into the business side of the business or, you know, leave. And it was the first time I was going to have a severance. So I was good. I never had money and time at the same time. Right. <laughs> I understand yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I decided to take a shot, take my shot. And uh, start writing specs, uh, living off of the severance and uh, trying to use the contacts I'd made at Fox to get to some, get hip pocketed by an agent and and get to know, uh, be in touch with executives and things like that. Um, it was it was very roundabout and, you know, had its moments of sheer luck. That's I got an agent off of another spec actually an X-Files spec, but that X-Files spec wasn't great. But between the Deep Space Nine, the X-Files, and oh, and a Buffy that I had. I had a great Buffy that got me a lot. And it, it, it was a Buffy that got me a freelance episode of Hercules meets the vampire. Wow. So, so I was doing the freelancing thing and uh, I was it's still in touch with Mike Sussman and he, being a Next Gen fan and a huge Voyager fan, et cetera, he had been pitching to Voyager, and he had been an intern on on there uh, in Star Trek. Um, and he was able to sell one or two, maybe three uh, stories uh, or and do a script for them. But he had this heartbreaking experience where, it looked like he finally was going to have an audition script to get on staff uh, for Voyager. And it was at the end of season six. And he was given this story to turn into a teleplay. And no one really knew what they wanted from it. And it was very difficult. And it was just one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situations. And he ended up not getting the not getting the job mm-hmm. and uh or they didn't fill the job mm-hmm. with him and but he was still very close to his mentor Ken Biller who, mm-hmm. who was right. about to run the show for season 7 and it was Ken who had to tell him the bad news about uh this previous ep- this previous episode um which was like kind of a haunted ship story and just didn't work um, I don't even remember which was one this. It was. This was uh, was this um, uh, haunting of deck twelve? Haunting of deck twelve. Yes. Yeah, I just watched that one recently too. I've been on okay. a Voyager binge. Okay, cool. Well, that was the one that that was completely rewritten and then mm. etc. And uh, like literally, like a month or two later, Mike got in touch with me and said they're looking for a woman on Voyager. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, yes, but honestly, uh, of all the shows, I know Voyager the least. I, I know Voyager, but and I've watched it, but I'm not an expert on it. Mike, you're the expert. What would you think about teaming up? 
Mm. And that's how we got our audition script on the show. Wow. And what which what was your audition script? Was it the Body and Soul yep. episode? The first yep. one that you did? First one that we did. It, it had been, it, had, it was a story by Mike Taylor. They'd given it to freelancers. It hadn't come it's out. It's a couple of names are listed there yeah, in the, in the credits besides yours and Mike's. Yes. Exactly. So we were the ones given the page one rewrite on it to see if we okay. could save this thing, which uh, was a huge mess. Um, and not very funny at all. And uh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, that's hard to believe. That's that's incredible. Uh, so we went in for a, a you know a meeting, a a writers meeting to go over ideas and and uh, help break this thing a little, um, just like in your standard writers room. And then we were sent off to write the script. And luckily, this was over the the early summer so things were not uh, i'm not even sure when we started it that they were actually filming so they weren't as crazed as they as we all get during production so we had the time to write it it wasn't one of those blasted out it was uh one of those unreal experiences where we're literally like just in a room together where we write our pattern was to write separately and then uh, exchange and revise and rewrite mm. and do that kind of thing. Again, Mike took the lead on this one because he knew Voyager much better and he loved the doctor. I'd say a lot of the humor came from him. It it came from me too, but I tended to be more the character person and more the um, poignant or, you know, uh, mm. emotional person. Mm -hmm. But we both had a lot of fun with it. And yeah. it, Jerry Ryan was a revelation. You know, he did I, so great, like yeah. re pretending to be the doctor. You know, I rewatched it this weekend in preparation yeah. for today, and just she was so funny. Uh, it it came off so well. Well, what Bob Picardo did was he would um, he would do the scene uh, for her. In, oh, you know, okay. I was wondering about in, that. In, that in, makes sense. In his voice, in 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 his uh style and mannerisms mm -hmm. so that, that jerry could then uh imitate those mm -hmm. yeah so well, that they did a lot of work together and that really helped yeah that makes sense and it came out great yeah yeah it just seems like you wrote the script just for all for bob and you said okay now just erase his name and put in <laughs> jerry's name because yes. she's going to read those lines <laughs> even though he could have read those lines himself exactly it was absolutely hilarious. I, I'm watching because, you know, we were I listed the four episodes you had written for Voyager. And I and Chris said, you know, what do you think? And Chris said, well, let's do Body and Soul. So I went, OK. And I had really no knowledge about it. And I watched it and I went, this is hilarious. This is this is great television. This is what, you know, I, I always appreciate the humorous Star Trek episodes the most. Yeah. And so watching so, one like so that to do. But they, well, when they come off well, they're great. So exactly. now that I know you're from New York, is that why that first piece of food was a piece of cheesecake? Oh, I love that oh, yeah. scene. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> oh, that's right. Every time I watch Her. it, I'm like, I just, I need that cheesecake. Her yep. reaction to eating that was yeah. absolutely hysterical. Mm -hmm. And then and I, him asking, have you never <laughs> eaten this before? Well, you know, I yeah. just think it's a great little scene. Right. And and a great little romance there. And and afterwards it was mm -hmm. like, I was never attracted to you. Not really. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So uh, I'm always oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just thinking that um so much of the episode it, it's on the page, but it's also on the stage. It really yeah. was a mm -hmm. wonderful collaboration of writing and acting. It really yeah, was. That's that's amazing. But I'm always so curious. What's the um when you say you're like breaking a story? What's that process like? Uh, the process is um can be kind of messy. It's basically you have all the writers in the room. So we had Mike Taylor, we had um Brian Fuller, we had Rob Doherty and Ken Biller, and I'm forgetting one or two because 
this first time we were in the room, we didn't know everybody or we only knew them as names that came up on credits. Basically, you want to go through uh, from the top of the story uh, what your what your scenes are going to be. And you've got a sense of the story. At Star Trek, we did these things called story documents that were just prose that were maybe 10 or 12 pages out uh, detailing the story. But that was prose and you had to turn it into uh, a script. So you then took that and said, okay, here's this. It has the emotional through line. We understand what the story is. Now, how do we lock it, portray it? Um, so everything from being on the shuttle at the first time, you know, wh- where should we be when we're caught? What's going mm-hmm. on with, um, what about them being imprisoned? How is this going to work? Um, it was, it was a very light break in the sense that it didn't have all the scenes and it had, they, they have a lovely term called WP, which is writer's problem. And whenever they can't figure out what to do, they go, it'll be the writer's problem. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we went off with that. I'm, I'm, I I, honestly, I don't know how much we broke uh, or how much we were just going over the story when we were Mm -hmm. in that writer's meeting, Mm because it it was kind of a blur, honestly, for me, I was so excited Mm -hmm. and so apprehensive. (laughs) And so, um, intimidated and overwhelmed, you know, every, every single emotion. And it was much better when Mike and I sat down and were just figuring out, okay. And remember, we already had some break from the original story. So a lot of it was just, let's make this, um, funnier. (laughs) Um, it it was, it was, yes. Yeah. I, I particularly liked uh, I knew I was going to like the episode when seven of nine and Harry are first in the prison in, in the cell and seven of nine notices a smell in the air. Oh and yeah. Oh yeah. Realize yeah. It's Harry Kim. Yes. And <laughs> that was just, great. I'm sweating. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that was Mike. My, that, that was a male. That was a man's <laughs> take on this. So does that carry over to all the jokes with DePaul, like was Mike Sussman involved? I, was he involved in no. season one? Cause I know yeah. she has like the nasal suppressant. Oh yeah. No, no. He, uh, no, he that, co- that the nasal suppressant came up. Um, I think from Brannon actually. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. no, a lot of not body and soul was kind of an anomaly in that it was so just us, but mm. with, Enterprise, especially going more serialized um, and the way Brandon ran a room versus the way Ken Biller ran a room for the last uh, season of Voyager. Um, uh, we were we were left more to our own devices for mm. body and soul, whereas mm. in a lot of Enterprise, uh, yeah, people would come up with lines or stuff like that, but other people would also have input into your drafts. So sometimes I do know, you know, there was, uh, I can't remember one of the, um, one of the scripts that we didn't work on. Mike had this comment about trip saying, don't get your panties in a twist. And that was during, that was during the break. So that went into the script. Oh, interesting. So it's, it's, to some extent, you can't always tell, and there's definitely revising as you go up the ladder, so that Brannon or um, a number two will uh, will do some rewriting if it, just to get the whole tone and the whole mm. sense of the series kind of on the same mm-hmm. uh, on the same page. Hmm. And Brandon Braga, just as a side note, is from Canton, Ohio, where I'm from. Yes, he is. And I think he went to Kent State, too. I believe that's true. I know he yep. went to McKinley uh, High School. Okay, that makes a lot of yep. sense because of the Kent State University in uh, this other voyage in season two, when there's like when the Voyager gets duplicated and right. they mention it, um, I believe a study from Kent State. So I wonder if that that's I think that was a Brandon Braga script. 
Yeah, it, it, I know he's in the it, weird sci-fi. He's in the he is he's got a an yeah. incredibly high concept mind. Um, and if you were duplicating things or traveling in time loops or having a temporal cold war, that was all Brandon. That was Brandon. That's amazing. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um, so very interesting oh, about oh. Voyager. Oh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Let, go let ahead. me just say that, that the audition script for Body and Soul was uh, was our ticket in. that. So we were hired right after that. Oh, okay. So that was in September. So we had missed the first five or six episodes, but we were on board when they were shooting Body and Soul, which meant we could be down there. Um, and that was an incredible experience. Oh, uh, I can only imagine. With having written or having been the story editor on scripts for Voyager, did that give you the sense of the characters and understanding of how you were going to write for the other four the four episodes you and Mike wrote together for Voyager? Uh, yes. Um, and that and a lot of watching Voyager over and over again. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> you kind of, you definitely developed the voices of, of the characters. Sometimes. Yeah. One was better than for the other. Mike was particularly good with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did author, author, which was yeah, a which is one. such a good, like I just rewatched that. I, this is, it's always one that I go back to, but I love it. Yeah. Um, I, have to, I have to watch that one now. Yeah, I have to watch the really other, the, all the other three episodes that you wrote as well. I just, I have to say, I have to jump in here because go ahead, Brian. I was not, I watched Voyager religiously through the first four seasons Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding is I actually did watch a lot more in its original run than I remembered as I'm as mm-hmm. I'm watching episodes here and there. This is an episode, Body and Soul, that I had no recollection of. I did not remember anything from it. It was so I got to I feel like I watched it for the first time ever uh, just yesterday. And mm-hmm. it makes me all that more of a Voyager fan. Like I'm, I, I really feel like it's that funny of an episode and charming of an episode and interesting too. It's not just yeah. funny for funny sake. It's funny in the right ways. Yeah, and no, it is. It's just it's out of water delivery. type stuff, you know, and yeah, um, it's, it's very philosophical too. And that oh, concept yeah. of, you know, so you've got the doctor inhabiting seven mm-hmm. and so he's got full reign, but it's not his body. What is yeah. he allowed to do with it? You know, it's it's and very that. interesting. And so there's that little touch that when he first exits, she's kind of like, you violated, you know. Yes. Yes. Because yeah, he ate too much food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Use yeah. my it, body. It, it, it mm-hmm. could have, you know, could have gone a lot deeper into that. I would have lost some of the humor because I think if you went too far into that aspect, yeah, yeah, no, then you mm-hmm. lose the humor part. Mm-hmm. But it does touch on this this interesting concept in science fiction is if you're you're body hopping and what does yeah, that mean well, for your soul? Well, here's mm-hmm. the end. What does that mean for your soul? And here's the name mm-hmm. of the episode. Yeah, and it's also <laughs> like uh, what was interesting. I I can't remember the line. I think like. There was a line that the doctor said, which sounded reminiscent of Kirk when he's like air filled with lungs, but it was delivered uh, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I don't, maybe I'm like trying a blank. Yeah, I, but I, I just I love the idea of, yeah. of him like understanding. Okay, what's it like to actually feel something mm-hmm. for the yeah. first time to taste? Yeah. Yes, and, it's and like all of really, those things. Yeah, well, that's what made really the, well done. the ending really po- poignant when right uh, the seven of nine comes in to basically have a meal and describe what all the sensations are like now that the mm-hmm. doctor has Helen Kellered his way into understanding what taste and 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 feel are all about. Interesting use of description there. I like that. And and one yeah. more little tidbit that I sure. thought was fun. A guest starred Megan Gallagher, who was in one of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes, Little Green, Green Men. Men. Yeah. And yeah. she also plays Meghan like Markle's her. mom on Suits. Just Oh, I didn't realize yeah. she was on Suits because I know she's also in DS9. Well, yeah. also she's, in, been a, she's been in yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. It, and, she, yeah. was, she was lovely. She was a great yeah. get. Um, yeah. And really, uh, the guest stars, her especially, were up to the task of taking on the regulars. Yeah, so, yeah. very good. 
Yeah, she's definitely an actor when she's on screen or when she comes up on the show. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know her from Star Trek. And she's always really good. It's yeah. always exciting to see her. So, Phyllis, I always, I've said this a hundred times, so my crew members will understand, but I'm going to share it with you as well. When Voyager was on, and I had been watching Star Trek since September the 8th, 1966, first episode, and been watching all the way through. So by the time we got to Voyager, I was really burnt out. And then this, te- and then I saw Enterprise, and my love for Star Trek was totally rekindled. So I said this to John Billingsley. I've said it to Doug Drexler. I've said it to Denise and Mike and Denise Okuda. I've said it to David Livingston. Because of that show, I fell in love with Star Trek again. So thank you for being having been part of Enterprise, which I think you're very, very proud of your involvement in that particular series. I am. Uh, uh, it was also one where I got to see how a series got developed from the beginning, because the reason that Brannon was not the showrunner on Voyager Season 7 and Ken Biller was, was that Brannon was developing Enterprise all during okay. that year. So we got to see, um, and little things like uh, the original name of Captain Archer was Jackson Archer, and that didn't clear, so we had to change uh, it to Jonathan Archer. Um, probably this is out in the trekosphere, but um, originally... Uh, we wanted to Paul to be the younger version of Tapau. Oh, okay, that's cool. From okay. time, and we because of rights issues with the original series and and uh, the, the various uh, rights holders of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure of the exact reason, but I know it was rights that we had to change that to to Paul. So okay. those were all the. So even even at the beginning, there was a hope to sort of connect to the original series in in many ways. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was also, uh, I'd say, in the first season, it was definitely sometimes seat of the pants mm-hmm. because you don't really know. You don't really know. You're writing before you you've cast in some cases mm-hmm. so you're then you're rewriting your your scripts if you have the time to address to take in the strengths what we knew you know we we got scott bacula early enough that we and he fit archer enough so that uh that wasn't uh that wasn't tough but uh it took a long while to find to paul and well. so Speaking uh, of Jonathan Archer and Scott Bakula, I, I thought he should um, be yeah. here with you today. And, you know, people think he's the star of the show, right? But no, yeah. he was not the star of the show. Are you going to say a certain no, dog? I know. This yeah. little guy yeah. was. Porthos. So for people who can't the... see, you know, because we're audio, yeah, that was so showing Porthos. And we have <laughs> yeah. Captain Archer in his chair, even yes. though he's yeah. more of a pacer yes. than a sitter. Yeah. And I have that same Archer figure. Oh, you so, do? Really? I do. Not not, not the chair. I just have the figure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So who was uh, the most difficult character to consistently write for on Enterprise? Um... That's a really good question. Uh, I'd say Phlox. Um, really? Yeah. Um, only because he had so many layers to him. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't from an existing uh, species. So, you, I mean, T'Pol could be difficult, but she had that certain um, more formal, um, dry formal cadence and drier humor mm-hmm. that was somewhat, you know, from the history of Vulcans from uh, Spock to um, Tuvok to um, uh, any of the others. So yeah. uh, that's interesting. That's not what I would have expected, you know, cause I would expect um, with Dr. Fox, given that his background is kind of an unknown I would have assumed that would have made it a little easier because you have you're able to 
invent and you're not, you don't, you're without the concern of getting something wrong. (laughs) That's true. But once what I'm thinking of is, is down the line, Mm -hmm. uh, when we were, when we had defined flocks, there were still all these elements that could be addressed, but had to fit with what, mm-hmm. with what he was. And there was, and John Billingsley was such an incredible actor. Again, yeah. the mm-hmm. actor meeting the, the part, all of a sudden these, uh, the subtext could come through in uh, everything that he was doing. Um it's- it's interesting because John, it, it's almost like that's who John is because we've had him on the show and we and just super entertaining, super funny. And it's funny, we were just watching the second episode of Gilmore Girls and who's in it? But John, oh, playing nice. a teacher Get out of town. And he sounds, <laughs> and I'm going, he sounds just like Dr. Flux. Oh, I mean, back it, to that. you know, so it's like his, uh, it, it's almost like, you know, you wrote the character, but he made the character. He made the character. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so once you got to know John more, that helped too. But I, I think basically, flocks popped enough that we were uh, more careful about how we were writing him. Okay, uh, interesting. But uh, to Paul was easier than you think, um, and Archer was. There was some back and forth about how formal he would be, how upright he would be versus whether there would be a little, you know, Kirk defiance to him. Uh, And I think the upright earnest team kind of won. And I was a little bit more on the cowboy team. Mm. Interesting. Going, that, going is, back to... that is I, I I'm sorry, Adina. Okay. I just want to I just want our listeners to mark something significant that just happened a moment ago on the big sci-fi podcast. We have a mention, our first mention of Gilmore Girls on the big sci-fi <laughs> podcast. So, That's true. Are you so, sure? Are we sure? <laughs> I'm, we've talked I'm about friends, sure. we've talked okay. about these other shows, but yes, I okay. bring in Gilmore Girls. And only because okay. I watched it yesterday. I went it out was a fantastic up. show. It <laughs> I was love a Gilmore great Girls. Yeah. I, to, I never finished it. I've never it. seen it. Never seen it. You've never watched Gilmore never, Girls? N- nope. Nope. Okay, Adina, you were just saying today, I need something new to watch while you're exercising. It's on Netflix. Okay. You watch Gilmore Girls. It is. I don't know if it's up my if, ass. No, no. If you, uh, uh, if you like the amazing Mrs. Maisel or I the did. marvelous. Okay. Yes. The same woman who marvelous. wrote that show wrote Gilmore Girls. Okay. You're selling me a little and bit on this. You will see Suki. You, you will see, you will see characters from the show. And you'll see okay. that same writing style. It's, yeah, I, it's did, a rem- I didn't mean for it to turn into a two-minute Gilmore Girls section. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do have a... Well, I want to go back and talk about T'Pol yeah. more because her yeah, arc is, <laughs> is an amazing arc. And I'm really... It's interesting to hear that that was not the original envision that you know having a younger T'Pol yeah. from a mock time was. I'm, I'm very pleased how it worked out. But I would have assumed that she had been really hard to write given the direction that you guys took her where not only is she not really a traditional Vulcan anymore, you know, but she becomes right. a drug addict, uh, you know, and she, she struggles yeah. with all these issues. That's a, yeah. that sounds like that would be a, it feels like it would be a very difficult thing to pull off. And I, I think it worked really well. Well, thank you. Um, I think that uh, one of the, guiding principles of Vulcans in the 22nd century was that they were closer to, you know, they weren't closer to prehistoric time when Spock was going all emotional, but they were closer to their, to having developed their repressed emotions only to a certain point. And Mm -hmm. and it was very much, and they weren't known as much from the outside either. So uh, the idea was, and and the subject of several stories were like these rogue Vulcans who decided that they could handle some emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it was very much more about suppression than mm-hmm. it was about um, sort of Spock's much greater ability to keep everything down under. Um, and that that led itself to the kind of arc that we could do with T'Pol, which um, developed much more in the second and third seasons. Yeah, uh, especially as uh, Jolene, who was very green, she was a model, um, and uh, Scott really took her under his wing and helped uh, helped guide her as she was developing her acting chops. Mm-hmm. So, uh, stuff that wasn't that we wouldn't have been able to achieve in the first season were things we could achieve by the second or third. Wow. That's impressive that her first job is to Paul, because it's like, I can't imagine how difficult that is because you don't want to be Spock, but you want to be Vulcan enough to be Vulcan, but it's, it just seems like a very difficult thing. So that's amazing. That this is her first, her first gig. Yeah. It was her first gig. And it this, she was the last cast because that role was, I, I was not involved in the casting process, but all I know is it was so difficult to find somebody. Um, and I probably they felt that they wanted a real unknown because they wanted the audience to be able to pour themselves into a Tapal that didn't come with any uh, other role baggage or anything like that. And yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of people out there who were unknowns who couldn't quite act and there was something that jolene brought in maybe a certain feline quality i'm not sure mm-hmm. um, she could fit the cat suit mm-hmm. um right of course she had to have the cat suits yeah exactly uh so uh and uh it, ironically enough in a way she was you know sort of following the seven of nine model mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was that was a difficult one i'd say the characters were fairly distinctive. Um, mm-hmm. Trip was great to write. Oh, I love anything that he's in. I love. I, yeah. I have to. I have to say that the very first bit of humor that appeared in Enterprise was in this was in the episode that you wrote with Mike, Strange New Worlds, where when they land the shuttlecraft on the on the foreign planet, and the first line out of Trip's mouth is where no dog has gone before oh, yeah. as he goes yeah. to a tree. And I thought, that's that's great. That's funny. There's 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 going to be humor in this show. It's going to be a little lighter. You know, it's not going to be super heavy. Yeah. Not who, even who, I who took a shower. Line? Did you do that or did was that Mike? That was Mike. I'm, oh, well, if you I, see, I'm telling find, thank you'll, you. You'll, you'll find a funny line of mine somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I assure you somewhere. Was it talking about arcs? Was it? challenging to write for archer in season three because he goes through a huge transformation yeah in that and yeah. it's like one of the one of my favorite character arcs in a series yes it was it was extremely difficult what was helpful about it was we were in season three we were had done season one and season two so that we had a sense of you know who our actors were who you know, all our crew was, everybody was sort of primed. Mm-hmm. And remember this, the Zindi story was uh, a 9-11 story. Yes. Mm-hmm. And was infused with that kind of emotion and dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, and so it uh, it was our first really big serialized arc. So it was very challenging for that and and was also why we were meeting much more in the room because we had to keep on top of uh, where the story was going. And, mm-hmm. and every writer knew what the other stories were so you could uh, write uh, – as an interim piece, your, your script. But it was a continuing storyline. So you had to dovetail one episode with the last and your episode with the next. So you coordinated with the, in the writing room, as you came up with storylines or developed characters or, or, you know, uh, to develop what the characters were going to do, especially your episode damage, which you, you you said that's your, (laughs) your favorite episode. And it is an extremely dark episode. And like you said about, 
Archer, everyone in that episode was damaged in a certain way, either emotionally, physically, you know, the, the using the enterprise as an example of being damaged by when it was attacked by the Zindi, but each one of the characters had to go into a dark area. And was that, was that hard for you to write that or how was that? Uh, that was actually, a. am going to use this word, um, but there are also other, other, uh, adjectives in mind it was liberating in some ways mm-hmm. because there was so much that that the crew hadn't faced and to paul remember was bubbling up with this you know ever since right, yes. those those vulcans with emotions had you know had violated her and mm-hmm. wrote that episode too and then they had uh then she was starting to have things surface and wanted to keep them down. And then she wanted to start experimenting with feelings. So it was, it was, uh, it was very fulfilling to take her to the nth degree of that. Yes. I'm known as the woman who made to Paul an addict, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but it, it really fit with her, her growth and her experimental nature. Um, yeah, when like, when she like dissolves it, the 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 rock, the device yeah. almost looks like a crack pipe. Yes, yes, and, it, that, that was on purpose. And damage uh-huh. is where she smashes the uh, data pad, right? When Archer yep, is about to yep, go, yep, uh, steal the warp coil. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's such a good scene. Yeah, that was an amazing scene. Um, and uh, Archer. I had always I had wanted whether it was Voyager or Enterprise, I always fascinated by moral dilemmas and mm-hmm. uh you know deciding on uh whether it's whether it makes sense to go for the greater good by sacrificing uh sort of your morals f- for that moment. Yeah. Um and uh and Archer hadn't been through that. Actually, when I was rewatching Regeneration, I realized that there was a little hint of that and that he didn't want to, he wanted to bring home who he thought were humans from their abduction by the Borg, which by the cybernetics. Yeah. Uh, and, but he didn't really have to make a decision there because they weren't human by the time he got there. And it was, and I really wanted him to have to make that decision. Yeah, about- like when when he has to eject the two um, Borg infected aliens from the, the yes, section where they're exactly disabling, it. where the, but the look on his face there, that stern look, like you know, go ahead to Paul, you know, open the hatch. He knows he's going to kill some people. He doesn't. He was trying to save, and then he goes in, and then in damage, he's doing. And there was other episodes also in season three where he had a moral dilemma of what he had to do right. for the and mission. And damage was ratcheting all of that up because yeah. it basically was, can we get to, are we going to lose the Zindi just in the way that Archer mm. almost lost the Borg uh, by making his decision to stay uh, with the Tarkalian ship? Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to let the terrorists win or are we going to do whatever we can to get out there. Um, And it wouldn't have been Star Trek to, to let these people die, obviously Mm -hmm. innocents die. But uh, so we had to work a lot to, uh, and I was given notes a lot on how to please make it. So there's a way that they're stranded, but not going to die. dead, And they got the supplies. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but at first it was, I mean, as I first conceived it, honestly, it, it was, they were sacrificed. Um, oh. and, and yeah, you, you tend to yeah. go too far when you start and then you need to be reined in. Mm-hmm. And, that's <laughs> and that's what your executive producers are there for. Yeah. To, uh, right. really do encourage you when you're first writing to be bold and to just go for, as far as you can go, and then we'll rein you in. 
Well, it's still a gut-wrenching decision, even to leave them kind of stranded where it's going to take three years to get yeah. back home. That's that's horrible in a, in its own way, too. It wasn't like, I mean, it was better than, to, you know, to having them good. all killed. But it's still <laughs> like that was that was he was asking a lot of them for the sake of their own good still. In, well, he wasn't but, asking. He was taking. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. He was. He was. He was. Uh, he, was he was basically assuaging a bit of the guilt by giving them yes, the supplies. Yeah. No, that really took Archer to a very tough place, and I was really happy for that. And it let Scott stretch. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like from then on, like everything from his death wish. To because of the things he's done to even home, which I love where he comes back and he's trying to adjust and trying to get back to the fun archer we remember from the first season. Right. Like, all of it's so good. And the fact that you he has his Captain Cisco moment um in mm-hmm. that episode. Like it's just it's honestly it's perfect. And I like it's one of those ones where season three I can't just watch specific episodes. Like if I'm watching it, I gotta go I gotta go to the beginning. But when right. I get to damaged or I know damage is coming up, I'm like always excited. Oh uh, you're making my day. I, I <laughs> tell you all I'm having so much fun with this and wow. bringing cool. back great memories. I, I can you, tell you go ahead, Adina. Oh, I was gonna say do you, do you go back and ever watch like Voyager and Enterprise? Uh I don't as much Part of me is, it, ironically enough, I keep thinking I remember it really well, and then mm-hmm. I'll go back and watch something <laughs> for one of these podcasts, mm-hmm. or because um, uh, somebody mentioned something, uh, or a friend of mine mentioned something, and I'm like, whoa, I forgot that part. <laughs> so, that, that, that's okay, uh, uh, Phyllis. I'll listen, when we publish or we post our podcasts for everyone to enjoy, I listen to it, and I'm going... Oh, I don't remember talking about that, or I don't remember we. Yep. Oh, well, that's very interesting. And it's just a couple of weeks, you know, of yes. time and difference. Yeah. Yes, right, oh. exactly. So it's it's the same thing. It's 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 kind of this bias that you think since you were so involved mm-hmm. in it, it, it mm-hmm. somehow has has imprinted fully on your brain. Yeah. Um, so it, it is nice. It's nice to have these excuses to um, go back and watch again. Well, if that is all the grilling questions we have for Phyllis, then I'm going to um, close out by saying, wow, thank you so much for being our guest on the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. As I stated in the beginning, you never know who you're going to meet at any time. As the song from The Simpsons goes, a stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. And I'm so lucky to have met Phyllis We've now filled out our Enterprise bingo card by having an actor, John Billingsley, a director, David Livingston, a spacecraft designer and all-around fun guy, Doug Drexler, on the show, and the keepers of the Star Trek fame and content creators, the great Mike and Denise Okuda, who are also on our podcast. So we've had all the important people, including yourself and I really appreciate you. I I am so lucky that I was there that day. We're and so lucky we you. were both wearing the same Our, hat. Yeah. That's what caught me. And and because you don't see that often, but it was really cool. So um great. Well, I loved being here. Well, thank you. We've really enjoyed having you on the show. And um so once again, we've come to the end of another informative episode of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. We know that the written word is what begins the process of a Star Trek show or movie or any other film or TV show. Without a great script, we're all watching The Bachelor. <laughs> I enjoyed I, I enjoy that <laughs> no. stuff. In, in, no in the words of George Takei, you are... No, I said no offense. To I, I enjoyed the Thank Bachelor. You. Thank you. Thank Although you. I've been watching the <laughs> Night of the Fiance. We just lost all the Bachelor fans. I'm sorry. Fans. We're sorry. Going. What about the Golden Bachelor people? What do you want those two? <laughs> no, in the words of, we, we would end up in, in this, George Takei would say, oh my. But we have great script writers like Phyllis to allow great actors and directors and content creators, give them the ability 
to create shows that we enjoy so very, very much. And to our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. Wait a minute. This is a that's shortwave radio to our show. We do this because we, as do you, love science fiction. So please, please follow us on Facebook. Post your comments as they do help us to move up the pecking order of podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Write to us at the big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to keep enjoying all the great content available on trekgeeks.com. And don't forget about Long Island. Guests of the big sci-fi cast will be there. So should you. As always, I leave you with these parting words. Look to the sky. Live long and prosper. <laughs>